0: This is a gold record. You get it if you sell a million records, and it belongs to our very special guests, the Guess Who? A group of boys from Winnipeg who are making it very big down in, um, down in... um, The United States. The United States. I can never remember that place. You remember Winnipeg, though? Baby, I remember Brandon. (laughs) Anyway, uh, they won this gold record for a song called Laughing.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the guests who? That was Wayne and Schuster, a comedy duo from the 1960s. It's, I mean, they actually, they were very, very funny. And they were talking about our guest today and the fact that they had a gold record. But in fact, he sold over a million albums and singles since. Randy Bachman or Bachman, as I would call him, comes. I'm from Saskatchewan. But Bachman became a more formal term a little bit later on. We'll talk about all of that. Randy is the founder of two rock bands, The Guess Who, Bachman-Turner Overdrive, a solo artist. He's going to do a new album with his son. Many of you will know Randy, of course, because he did a show called Vinyl Tap on CBC Radio. And we're going to talk about that in in a minute because it's going over to the Chorus Radio Network. Good Winnipeg boy, born to German and Ukrainian parents at the age of three. He won a singing contest at the age of five. He started studying violin, but as he says, he grew dissatisfied with structured lessons. Randy Bachman, it's so good to see you. Hi, good to see you again. How are you doing? Very, very good. Can can you not stop working? Are you just a junkie? Is that the problem?
0: I don't think I've worked a day in my life.
1: <laughs> no, I know you have always loved this. So I just, I, I want to go through some of this stuff. I mean, the, the final tap, we'll, we'll just start there because you're taking it on the road and you're going back on the Chorus Radio Network. I, I just got to ask you this, like, why did they take this show off the air at CBC? Everybody loved it. And then there was this huge write-in, write-in campaign saying, bring them back, bring them back, bring them back.
0: What happened? Uh, Well, after 15 years, a new head of programming came in, wanted to young eyes, euthanize, that's a good word, (laughs) Wanted to make CBC more youth oriented. And I kept saying, but you can't. Yeah. 19 to 20-year-olds are gamers. They're on their phones. They're not sitting Saturday or Sunday night listening to CBC, listening to the comedy, the great news, the interviews, and the music late at night with me and Strombolopoulos and and Holger Peterson. That is a Saturday night institution. And the guy wanted to shake things up, and he did.
1: Well, they're lost, I'm telling you. So you're out on the road. You're doing this tour kind of vinyl tap live and 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 then it is on sunday nights on chorus radio right and it's the same kind of show you're telling stories you've got themed shows about music you love and even sometimes music they are
0: theme songs but when i do it live on stage it's only my 15 hits it's my hits with the guess who then a little break and then five or six or seven hits with BTO and yeah. there's a story behind each one because that's why people come they want to hear laughing uh these eyes she's coming down no sugar tonight no time American woman then there's a little break and then it's let it ride rolling down the highway taking care of business ain't seen nothing yet so I've I've been to two high schools the guess who in the BTO high school in Winnipeg and I graduated and I'm really happy <laughs> and I'm kind of going back and reliving that with the audience so that's when I play live that's called every song tells a story kind of like Vinyl Tap of my own. And then every show every week, that's on now, is a different theme where I'm able to pull together, which is great for classic rock. They only have a little window that they play 15 years. When I do wow. Vinyl Tap, I have 50 years. I'm right from Little Richard and Elvis wow. right up to Lady Gaga. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and much newer bands. So I'm able to, having the theme, do four or five decades of music.
1: And, I mean, you know, I I think that one of your first tours when, I mean, you would have been a kid, was with the Kingsmen. I mean, we I'm going to say we all remember, but many people remember "Louie Louie," you know, that song. And and that was danced to in every Legion Hall in Western Canada, as far as I can remember, and uh, a lot of clubs. Like, you have been on the road for a very long time.
0: Kind of since I was, um, well, you know the old story. At 17, I ran away from home and join the circus and that's what happened. Oh 17 or 18 to start to go on the road and you play around Winnipeg, you play Brandon, but you're opening for Johnny Cash or Neil Diamond or somebody cool like that. And you get the you get the their vibe that this is your this could be and this is your life. And then when the Kingsman Louis Louis tour came, we went away to New York. We stayed there for three or four months. But when we were there at the studio at Scepter Records, the main songwriters were Baccarack and David. And Ashford and Simpson, they would come in and pitch their songs. They were brand new songwriters right out of Juilliard. Ashford and Simpson were still in high school. And Dionne Warwick was their main artists, and the Kingsmen were their artists. So we got to record there. And, hang, and their main engineer was Phil Ramone. So we hung out with these guys who became legendary superstars about four or five years ahead of us. What I learned from every one of them things to do and things not to do, right? Things
1: not to do. Yeah, That's always a good one to have. But I mean, that's the point of it, isn't it? Like it, that way when you were all meeting, people weren't famous in the same way. I mean, music came first, the fame came right. after. And, and you learned for each other and layered that on to the stuff that you were working on.
0: Well, nobody did it for the party or the money. Right. Because we? there's a couple of important days in your life. The day you're born, the day you know why you were born, like what's my purpose of life? Is it shooting hoops, preaching baseball, be an <laughs> artist, be a doctor, or play music, or be an actor? Once you and then today is the third most important day, because we're here sharing it together. So I would say the three most important days: the day you were born, the day you know why you were born, and today.
1: Yeah, today and just keep on doing keep it. Keep on keeping on. We've got a couple of old clips, which I'm sorry, I just can't resist running. Um, This is you and Burton coming, so we're going to see a little bit of you guys. um, It's it's a memory lane
2: trip. Well, Randy, we've dug up some really old film clips of you and me from the archives. This ought to be something. Well, I don't think either of us is going to believe what we're about to see. No, I don't think we've changed a bit. (laughs) <laughs> well, wait a minute. Who is that? I think it might have been me. Well, I don't know how long they must have worked on that kiss curl. Look at look fucking kill. But your pants, friend. <laughs>
1: Those pants were pretty special, Randy. Those nice plaid pants. That was a long time ago.
0: (laughs) Those were the days when CBC had a drama department. (laughs) So before every show, we would go in and pick from the wardrobe. And we would pick soldier jackets like Hendrix wore those plaid rock and roll things. We got to choose from their wardrobe because they did shows at Rainbow Stage. And actually in CBC, they actually acted. You remember that. And the way they were acting all the time. So it was really cool.
1: So you guys came together, and and how did you uh, how did you click? You and Burton.
0: Well, we our first big hit when we went on the Shaken All Over Louis Louis tour yep. was with Chad Allen, who's our lead singer. Right. He became invisible. We were no longer Chad Allen and the Reflections. We were called the Guess Who because we couldn't find a name. So our record label just put out Shaken All Over and put Guess Who under it, and suddenly we were called that. And it was a number one record in Canada, top twenty in Billboard. We did this tour, as the guess who came back to Winnipeg and chatted and said, "I'm a nobody. I want to go back to U of M." He was going to University of Manitoba at the time. I don't want to go on the road. And when we had left Winnipeg, we were gone like four or five months in that summer. Yeah. Yeah. Next band took our place. They were called the Deverons. Their lead singer was a punk named Burton Cummings, who could sing "Oh Danny Boy." And sing House of the Rising Sun. He could scream and he could do bells. He had this beautiful Irish tenor, And he played really great keyboard since the age of six. I played violin since the age of five. He, By the time he was a teenager, he had had his, same with I, our tipping point. We had done our 10 or 12,000 hours on the instrument. Wow. Uh, he was a natural to join the band. So I went to see him. I spoke with his mother because my dad went to school with his mother. She said, I'll let, I'll let Burton join the band. I'll sign, because he, he was under 18. Right. I'll sign his if you agree to be like his older brother and mentor and look after him and pick him up and bring him home after the gigs because he's a wild teenager. <laughs> and I said, okay, I agree to that. And he joined the band. And we never looked back. Uh, suddenly, I had a guy who was young, youthful, just like me, same amount of experience. as I me. Mean, loved the Beatles, loved Elvis, loved the Hollies, loved the, Hollies, loved the Beach Boys could play piano, I couldn't play piano, I taught him to play guitar. Yeah. And boom, we start to write together and we we sensed an immediate magic that every time we're together, I walk on stage with him next week, somehow one and one equals three and we become bigger than the, than each one of us on, on our own.
1: Let's take a listen to that because he talks about this in this next clip. Go ahead.
2: Well, Randy, do you remember those early days when we first started writing songs? The days of being young. Yes, I remember that. It was about 11 years ago, I guess, wasn't it? Pretty long time. And Good beginnings. Some of the early ones weren't uh, all that hot. If, no, they if weren't I remember too hot correctly. No. I think what happened, though, when we started writing together and bouncing ideas off each other, that's when I would say the two of us really blossomed as writers. I think that's we learned from each other. We right? really needed each other. <laughs> yes, very much in those days. But while we were a writing team, there were still some great songs that we wrote as individuals and my favorite one of all the things you wrote individually was undone why don't we do a bit of that for the people all right she's come undone she didn't know what she was headed for and when i found what she was headed for it was too it's um,
1: these, what, this a, is... what
0: a voice, what a voice.
1: <laughs> well, what a duo. I mean, we, this is sort of for many of us, people my age, soundtrack of our youth, right? And we all heard those songs and they meant something to us in the moment. It was about whatever crisis we were having with our boyfriend or, you know, fight with mom and dad or whatever it might be. But that one has a particular story. Tell us that.
0: Well, I'd met a girl in Vancouver and um, we were just coming here every so often because we still lived in Winnipeg and um, we got to do a tour, but guess who? Four dates, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco we were the opening act, the next act was Alice Cooper, and the headline was Frank Zappa on the Mothers of Invention. <laughs> so we were the freaks on that, because they were totally freako. We right. wore our Beatles suits and suits and tie- shirts and ties. We were the freakos because the crowd was totally hip crowd playing the Retinal Circus and the Fillmore and stuff.
1: <laughs>
0: so after that, we came home with a big celebration party. We've been on tour with the Mothers, and Alice Cooper was brand new then, because Frank had just discovered them and had them on, him on his record label. Yeah. So we came back, we had a big party at the University of Manitoba, where a guy named Guy So. Bell, who was a friend of mine, his father was a professor, but back in England for the summer, and Guy had this big, beautiful house at, on the campus at UBC, and you know how big the those houses were, very yeah. British, yep. there was a party in the basement, somebody brought, and I was there with this girl, and um, just hanging out and listening to music, and somebody put something in her drink, and she had a fit on the floor, went into a coma, they called the ambulance and the Mounties.
1: She never woke
0: up. She went to the hospital for a week and she passed away. And at the time, I had a jazz chord progression that Bert and I couldn't find anything to write music to or even lyrics to. And I got it from Lenny Bro because I grew up with him as my guitar mentor. I was 14. He was 15. He just moved to Winnipeg. He had no friends. I became his only friend. He was my friend and hang out with him for two years. So I had these jazz chords. And then I heard a Bob Dylan song on the radio because FM uh, radio was just starting then in Vancouver, Tim Burge and FM radio where it's stereo. And we get to play albums, anything we want. They played a Bob Dylan song called Ballad in Plain D and somewhere in that song, he said, she came undone. And I went, wow, she, and she's come undone. Oh, it fits over these jazz chords. I wrote it all out, knocked on Burton's hotel room door. This was at the Burrard Inn on Burrard Street in Vancouver. And played him the song. He said, Wow, congratulations. You've written a song by yourself. It's fantastic. Drop some of the verses. of had 10 verses. The Bob Dylan song had like 50 verses.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: they always do. Yeah. Let's, let's repeat the third verse. Let's put these together and let's make it a three verse song with some repetition. And you've written a hit song. And boom, I wrote that song. And it's, it still stands up today and it's a really great story
1: it still does stand yeah. up yeah. and you said... women are still going through that in the whole right. it and... must have been a bit of a lesson to you because you're not a drinker and you don't do drugs no never so that's how you've survived in this business when so many you know did not
0: right well when somebody puts in your drink by accident or by a yeah. prank Or do you do it to yourself? Are you kidding? Would I actually take this thing where I would lose control of my life and myself and maybe never wake up? Are you kidding?
1: I don't want to play that
0: game, you know?
1: Yeah. But that was, you would have been odd man out in a a world of music.
0: I was. I think there was a few guys like me. One was Frank Zappa, a totally straight guy. Paul Revere from Paul Revere and the Raiders. Ted Nugent, amazingly (laughs) enough. Gene Simmons. Amazing. You think these guys are wacko rock yeah. and rock party. These guys are super, super straight. It's all business. Everybody parties around. They think they're party animals. They're just there doing what they love, which is playing guitar and getting paid for it. Wow. <laughs>
1: That was a time. So you talked just, I want to come back to the way you described that process of going in and talking to Burton, and, but having music, having chords in your head that were kind of homeless, that were floating out there and then finding a frame for it. Or That's a really interesting process.
0: Well, I would get together with him every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Usually I'd be waking him up because we would have done a gig the night before. Right. He lived with his mother and grandmother about two blocks from me. So, just a walk over or riding a bicycle over. And we would get up and I would show him ideas I had for songs or show him a whole song. And he'd kind of sit there listening to the song. I'd get to a part and he'd, he'd perk up and he'd go down. And I knew it's like playing right. for an audience. Either get up and dance or they don't. <laughs> you want to make them dance. Then he would play me a song. And I'd say, I like the beginning of your song, but it totally dies you like my hook or my course, let's put them together, put them in the same key, change the tempo. That's how we wrote songs. We put together our own greatest hits, which were not hits, until we put them together and threw out the, the, the excess of waste, or what you want to call it, and put together our own best of ideas. And mm-hmm. we wrote that way. Once in a while, we got lucky and wrote one that was completely stood alone, and we put them back to back, which was No Sugar Tonight, New Mother Nature. And yeah. amazingly enough, when we put them in the same key, they fit over each other at the end. So we created our own day in a life like Lennon and McCartney that starts with I Heard the New studio Oh Boy, and then goes to woke up, got out of bed. So right. for example, we put that together. We went, wow, we've done our own Beatle thing and put these two songs together. We had some amazing, magical moments together.
1: But, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people have said that, that you two are, you are sort of Canada's Lennon and McCartney. I mean, you have produced a lot of material
0: i look back there's a box set out now guess who bto burton solo and my solo that's i think it's six cds and six vinyls yeah and looking back at it because i've had to do interviews about it together and on our own we created an incredible impressive amount of music not all of it's famous because you can't have everything famous everything can't be number number one you got to have a dip which i call a learning curve and learn how to come back and tread water again and then maybe Win, win and win another race. And we've been very lucky to, you know, I've been very lucky to have win a couple of races with guess who beat you, and then my own solo stuff. And now I've got this documentary coming out of my lost and found guitar. Oh yeah, we got maybe. to go to that story. Okay, it's a new album I cut with my son. That's going to be the soundtrack to the movie and this whole thing that happened to me out of the blue and out of COVID. Amazing things happened to me in COVID. COVID, including getting whooping cough, pneumonia, and COVID. And COVID, yeah. Other COVID. good things happened
1: all been there okay your son Tal a musician and you are going to do an album but this guitar and and I can't you know I mean I can pretend I know about it but this is a Gretsch guitar 1957 a Chet Atkins model like for anybody in the music business they're going to go oh my god that's amazing so you had this guitar you love this guitar you're playing in Toronto the car the guitar gets stolen
0: right 1976, it gets stolen, or 77 gets stolen from my hotel room. We're there recording at Phase One Studios. We're staying at the Holiday Inn. I never let that guitar out of my sight since I bought it. Yeah. I would literally take it into a hotel room and had a chain and lock. I would chain it to the toilet if I had to leave my hotel room. If somebody broke in, they'd have to rip the toilet out of the the wall to get my guitar off it. And this crazy roadie of mine in the studio said, I'm going to go check out of the hotel. He took my guitar. I said, don't leave it alone. He left it in the room for 10 minutes, went and paid the bill, came back, it was gone. Then we found out that the maids in the Holiday Inn would spare keys, throw them out the window to their boyfriends in the parking lot who then come to the front of the hall and phone the, phone the room because they have the room number. And if there's no answer, they know the guy's not in the room. He's either paying to check out or he's getting the free breakfast and croissants or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Hit and run. They'd open the door, whatever. And when you're going to check out, you pack everything and leave it by the door. So there's your right. suitcase, your briefcase, your wallet, everything. Tick my guitar and gone. I tried for 10 years to get it backed very actively. Then the internet came. I tried on the internet. Nothing happened. Gone. 50 years later, 50 years, Tal and I were stuck here in, in Sydney, which is a nice place to be stuck, yeah, Sydney, BC, yeah. on the water in Deep Cove. And we started to do a Friday night YouTube that we called the Friday Night Trainwreck. He would show up with five songs I'd never played on guitar because he's 25 years younger than me. He was right. when I was, he was, I was 25 when he was born. And I would show up with five songs, and we would try to play them together with no rehearsal. Wrong key, wrong chords, wrong lyrics. And we did one and thought, I never want to do that again. With so much mail from people who liked it. Seeing professional guys, yeah. well, all they hear on the radio is your perfection. Right. You sung a song 30 times, you played your solo 12 times, and you do a composite, as you know, a compass, you pick the yeah. best licks and the best words and the most intuitive yeah. thing. That becomes what's on the radio. That becomes biblical. That's set in stone. To see us making mistakes and stumbling, they would sit there with their guitars with us and stumble around. I'd go, change the key. And we change the key because I couldn't hit the notes. And in the middle of one of these, we did 52 of them for a whole year, every Friday night. Down the side, you're doing live YouTube. There's a black strip down. And people are typing in, nice pants, Randy. Bad cord, Randy. And down comes, I found your lost guitar. I look at it. I look at it. I say, get a hold of this guy. And we then, after it's done, we contact the guy. He lived in White Rock, where I used to live.
2: Yeah.
0: And he had nothing to do during COVID, so he looked up. He didn't even know what a Gretsch was. He knew that my Gretsch had been stolen. He Googled the word Gretsch, found that it was a Gretsch guitar. He Googled BTO, and there's a. If you want to show it, the BTO, the BTO playing, looking up for number one, the last song I wrote and recorded a video for that. It's on YouTube. And he took a picture of me playing the Orange Gretsch. Then he went and Googled every Orange Gretsch sold on the internet in the last ten years. And up came picture after picture. And he he AB'd them. Maybe suddenly he found mine and sent it to me. It was being played by a guy named Takeshi, who doesn't speak or sing English. but He's in Japan. He's in Japan in Tokyo. He's Japan's Brian Setzer. He's a rockabilly guy, but he sings Rock This Town and "Straight Cats Strat phonetically. He doesn't even know what he's singing, but he's the cool Brian Setzer. And he's playing my guitar. So because my daughter-in-law, Coco, who set this up with you guys, is Japanese. She's been here about 10 years. Yeah. She contacts Takeshi, his manager. She translates for me. We do a Zoom. He brings the guitar into the camera. I can't breathe. It's like somebody knocking on your door saying, were you in Toronto 22 years ago? I'm your daughter. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yes. What?
1: Yes.
0: yes. Wow. And so I see this guitar. He agrees to give it back to me. They say, great, I'll get you a brand new Gretsch. And he says, I don't want a brand new Gretsch. I want one from 1957. If I'm going to give this up to you because I'm an honorable man yeah.
2: and I realize this is
0: your guitar and it was stolen from you and I've been its keeper now for seven years. This guitar is still a 9.9 out of 10. There's no mods, there's no repairs. It's still a perfect guitar. You must find me. It's twin. So I've been, I collected Gretsch's for 30 years trying to find mine and buy every Gretsch All I you. can find and I was too busy to send them back. So I just, I kept them. So I ended up selling 300 Gretsch's to Fred Gretsch. That's another Gretsch Museum. But in doing that, I met these Gretsch dealers. I called the guy in Loveland, Ohio. He's got seven of them. He has his guitar players go, they pick one that looks like mine. He sends it to me. I have to buy it. Yeah. It's three serial numbers away from mine. So it was made in the same week, in the same room, on the same bench, by the same guys. I emailed Takeshi. He goes, I will trade you that. We are guitar brothers, even though we can't speak. He's my best friend, right? He's giving me back this guitar. And I've now got the sister. So I'm going to go and exchange the twin sisters with my guitar brother there. Uh, I could contact her by Ian McKay, who's a Canadian consulate there for Japan, who's a great guy. I've Zoomed him a few times. And he's from Penticton for Pizza Kids, Canadian guy. And so at the Canadian consulate on July the 1st, I'm going to walk out and see my guitar for the first time. I'm not going to see it before that. We want this to be like a wedding. And I see the bride for the first time. So I'm going to see my guitar. I'm
1: going to be playing
0: playing the substitute. Maybe shake all over, taking care of business. Which I played on that guitar in both of them. And then Takesha is going to come out. We're going to play a bit. And then trade guitars. I don't know how I'm going to react. Probably in, in tears, on my knees, hugging this guitar. Like my lost dog that got run over by a truck. And 30 years later, somebody brings me the dog's grandson and gives me the same identical dog, right?
1: Are you, like, you know this is yours? Oh, yeah. It's the thing.
0: It has markings on it in the grain of the wood. That's exactly mine. Wow. And so that's going to happen Canada Day. We've got the Canadian cultural... Uh, people involved yeah. it's going to yeah. be a big brotherhood of Canada and Japan and of guitar players all over the world and Gretsch Guitars is going to get the most amazing promotion around the world because we, <laughs> we have hundreds of millions of people following this when this story broke about a year ago yeah it was a total surprise. we didn't plan this you can't plan these things
1: no no in no. the middle of
0: our doing our YouTubes we took a month off until and I went to uh, Seattle and recorded an album okay and so we didn't do our YouTubes for a whole month we came back. Coco kept saying, "You got a YouTube. Everybody wants to do a YouTube." And I said, "We're not ready. We still got our album on our mind. We're doing the mastering yeah. and the sequencing and all this stuff." She said, just do one. Grab a guitar. So I grabbed the Gretsch guitar that I had bought to trade mine. And she said, "Talk about the guitar." So I tell the yeah. story. She puts it on YouTube. I get a call the next day from uh, CTV in Victoria. Come yeah. in and talk about it. They put it on the news. Then it went national. And then we got yeah. a call from cbs good morning america um <laughs> uh, bbc in london uh mexico city uh, this no, is was- an amazing
2: so-
1: story this is like a long lost lover that right you know, so instead meeting- of giving
0: up every day and having bad news bad news and more bad news on cnn and fox yeah this is a little bit of people doing random acts of kindness for- right. all for me because it was a feel-good story and i'm still amazed that and people are still coming on board uh we got incredible producers in l.a yeah. Uh, Air of came on board, they're flying us there. They're gonna mm-hmm. handle the guitar perfectly. Do you know what I mean? The guitar gets its own pod on the yeah, plane. It can it you know? have
1: its own pod for sure. I now, know. did did the the young man in Japan, musician, A, did he know this was your guitar and its origin story? And B, did he know who you were? He didn't
0: know any of that because he's quite young. And he's Japanese, he doesn't speak English. Right. He knew, he knew Brian Setzer, obviously. He knew yeah. some of the songs. But when he was told the story and how I lost it in 1976, 77, and that's when he was born. And he said through the translator, I was born to look after your guitar. Yeah.
1: Obviously. When I
0: tried it in the store, vintage store in Tokyo, which we're going to go to and visit. When yeah. I tried it in the store, there was eight of them on the wall. I tried them all. And when I got to this one, it said to me, I am special. I am in people's hearts and houses all over the world. Take me. He took the guitar home. He's been looking after it. He didn't know why. Then when he found out that it was mine and I wrote all the guests who and played and all the BTO hits were written and played on that guitar yeah. as part of the soundtrack or part of the composition, he said, I'm an honorable man. I'll give you back the guitar. And then I told you the story how I found the ones turning yeah. back.
1: But this is, uh, I mean, it is. I mean, obviously, it called to him, but this is, I mean, this now takes your legacy and your body of work into a whole new generation and a whole new world. It's, I mean, it really is amazing.
0: We have literally tens of millions of followers now following this story that yeah. when I when I land, it's kind yeah. of like the, when the Beatles landed in New York, <laughs> when I land with this guitar in Vancouver, there's going to be four or five television stations there, plus. The Netflix guy, plus our own photographer. Yeah, who doing the documentary, us, yeah. filmed all of our YouTubes for nothing because them and, Co- them and Coco were working on a movie in Victoria and they got shut down because of COVID. And she yeah. called and said, I have all these sound men and cameramen. Why don't you and tell do a YouTube? And I said, no way, I don't yeah. want to do that. And yeah. then we did 50 of them. It was amazing. So all these things have happened from the universe or from COVID. Yeah. And in the middle of it all, I got very ill. I had double whooping cough. I couldn't breathe. I had pneumonia. I got covid
1: I was in and out of the hospital. It was terrible, but I survived. You've got it all back. You've got your, yeah. Well, and that too is meant to be. I think so. Yeah.
0: Even though I was double vaccinated
1: i know I, well that's everybody's story uh, you know it it doesn't matter the variations just right. keep on uh, keep on coming want to ask you because we're kind of in this frame you you are um you know born of of ukrainian parents do you do you watch that do you follow that Is
0: i do and it it's absolutely hard? terrible and i'm totally a believer that it could have been avoided the yeah. whole situation in the us had been avoided could have been avoided if biden and his team i just Said thank you, Donald Trump. You got a great car here. We're going to drive it for a while. We're going to change a few things. But when they canceled everything, yeah. it all boils down to what do we need to survive? Food, yeah. water, shelter, and and gasoline, yeah. basically, because that's that's how all our goods move around. And that's still being shut down. Them ignoring that those facts. Yeah. The stuff I see on TV every day is so shocking.
1: Yeah, I think it's on us too. We we had we had a responsibility to act way sooner. I mean, Putin's been doing this stuff for. Twenty years, right? I know. Yeah. So we've got a, uh, and in Winnipeg, certainly where I live, it's a big Ukrainian community too, and and it it's touching, it's touching everybody. Oh
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's touching everybody. All right. So, um, the, but the Bachman part, okay. I, I promised we'd come back to that because, as I said, I grew up calling you Randy Bachman, um, even though it's spelt C H, but. When you started to go into the U.S., it became Bachman-Turner Overdrive? How did that happen?
0: The guy who signed us to the record label deal was German named Charlie Fosch.
1: Ah, okay.
0: F-A-C-H, who you'd call yes. Fack or Fosh or whatever. Yes. And he put out a press release saying, here's a new band, B-T-O, Bachman, and he put B-O-C-K, how to pronounce it, M-A-N. So I became Randy of Bachman of Bachman-Turner Overdrive. <laughs> so my first hard- time on America. My first time on American Bandstand, Dick Clark hands me the mic and says, how do you say your last name? Backman (laughs) or Bachman? I go, yes, all of the above.
1: It is a funny story, but you still call yourself Randy Backman, if asked. Yes,
0: Because we say potato and potato, Datsun and Datsun, Falcon and Falcon. It's between the languages. It's that first syllable, that's the A, that's the difference. (laughs) And I grew up in a neighborhood that was all Russian-Ukrainian. So you, your friends are either Jewish or Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and so going to school, having this German Bachmann, believe me, that was changed. Because yeah. I would get beat up by all the Jewish guys who were my buddies. Yeah. I dropped the N off of M-A-N-N to just yeah. single to Bachmann. And Bachman became more of an English pronunciation of my name.
1: Yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, Germans in small communities yeah. post-war, it was a difficult time for yeah. sure. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, because you just have a million and a half stories and people will get to hear them and watch them. And I'm so pleased about that. But but really one of my favorites is the story of the pizza and the piano and how taking care of business all came along. Like that's a great story. Do you Will you share it?
0: I'll try to truncate it for you. Yeah. Yeah. That summer, I went to New York to shake all over summer. We recorded at Scepter Studios. Yeah. Scepter, Scepter Records and studios owned by Florence Greenberg, yeah. who managed the Shirelles and Dionne Warwick, and she wrote the hit Soldier Boy. She's the one who got Bert Backhock and Phil Ramone there to work, and her son, Stanley, was the engineer. Yeah. He engineered our, our next album after shake all called Hey Ho, What You Do To Me? And Hey Ho was written by Ashford and Simpson. They even sang on it with us. But he was blind. as name was Stanley Greenberg. I said, Stanley, how do you get around? He said, I have a white cane, and I've got to leave at 10 o'clock every night. And when, as you know, a musician, you're just getting rolling at 8 or 9 at night. That's when your gig starts, and you play till midnight. So I said, I want to write a song about you because it came every day. This is in August in New York when it's 90 and 90. Yeah. Humidity. He's wearing a button-down white shirt with a tweed tie, a tweed jacket, patches on the elbows, pleated tweed pants, those British brogues. I say, Stanley, we're all wearing cutoffs and flip-flops. Why do you dress like that? He said, I want to be like George Martin, the greatest yeah. producer in the world. Okay. Okay. I get that.
1: The Beatles. I, said, I want to write a
0: song about you and I'm going to call it white collar worker. I want to come with you when you leave every night at 10. Do you go to your apartment? He said, no, I take the train. I said, where? He said, I got to go home. Said, you don't live in New York. Your mother owns the studio on Scepter Records. Right. You live somewhere else. He said, yeah, I walk to Grand Central. So I walked there with him that night and it's empty. The streets are empty because it's 10 o'clock everyone's in the theater till about 10 30 and madison yep. square garden at 10 30 it's going to be a parking lot at the world's fair but right. up until then there's nobody there we get to grand central he gets on the train i say stanley there's nothing to write about when do you come in in the morning maybe there's something going he said i take the eight fifteen into the city and i go Kaching. they get up in the morning they take the eight yep. fifteen to the yep. city work then and everything school started at nine Then it moved to 10. That's why you took the 8.15, to get to work by 9 and start your slaving job to get your pay. So I write this song, and it's called White Collar Worker, and nobody likes it because in the middle, I stop and I go, I'm copying Paperback Writer. I go, white collar worker, just like Paperback Writer. But my verses are the same. Getting up in the morning, take the train to the city. The girls are trying to look pretty. You like to work at nothing all day. Because my dad used to say to me, get a real job. You work at nothing all day long. I said, when you're a musician, it's in your head. You're working 24-7. It's there. You write it down. It's an original song. Um, That song was never on a Guess Who album. It missed three or four BTO albums. And then one night when Fred Turner lost his voice and I had to sing the whole set, this is in BTO.
1: Yeah.
0: I pull out white collar worker cause I have nothing else to sing. I've sung a Bob Dylan song and a Neil Young song, two guys who aren't great vocalists who I can certainly sing like. <laughs> and I say to them, I'm going to do white collar worker. I make it into three chords instead of 10 chords. And I sing my verses to white collar worker. And when I get to the course, I sing Taking Care of Business, which I heard Daryl Burlingham, who you probably know, Daryl B. He was on radio in Vancouver and Toronto. Daryl B. said, Daryl B. and C-Fund Radio were Taking Care of Business. And I went, wow, great song title. So that night on stage, I put both songs together. It's the last set Saturday night. The crowd is dancing and dancing. The club owner is going, yes, everybody's dancing. Everybody's sweating. Everybody's buying the last round. We go to record it two weeks later. Fred Turner says, I don't want to sing this song. You sing it. Give me a real break. Sing a song of ours on stage. I sing the song once. We record it. There's a knock at the door. We open it, There's the guy standing there. He's about six foot four, wearing a Fidel Castro hat and an army fatigue, big black beard, black frizzy hair. And he's holding some pizza. And he says, you guys order pizza? And I say, no. Go down the hall. Steve Miller's in B and a guy named War. War, Jerry Goldstein's in advance called War. They probably ordered the pizza. We're going home. We've been there since noon. It was now like one o'clock in the morning. So, uh, 10 minutes later, he knocks on the door again. We're putting on our jackets. We're going to our hotel room. And he says, I've been listening to the song outside the studio. It sounds like you could really use a piano. And I said, Yeah, I agree, because it's got that feel. And I said, You know, I know Little Richard and Elton John, but they're like in LA going crazy right now. I might get them to play later. And he said, I'm a piano player. Can you give me a break? I said, What do you mean? He said, I can play to the song. It's three chords. He wrote down on a napkin the three chords and where I said, Okay, who am I not to give a guy a break? Yeah, yeah. You got one take. Normally, you tune a piano. We just threw a mic in the piano covered with a, with a blanket and said, okay, you got one take. I said to him, play a little bit of Little Richard, Elton John, and Dr. John. So he was going to give me a sample. So every verse in that is different. You hear the first verse, it's like honky, honky cat. The second one's like Dr. John, and the third one's like Little Richard. When he played, I said, thank you very much. He went home we went home we came back the next morning charlie Fash flew in to hear the album one day early i said to the engineer we haven't heard the piano back when you play taking care of business don't play the piano track but halfway through it the engineer pushed up the volume control and then came to the piano and charlie said what is that bto with a piano you are going to get real estate on top 40 radio because elton john has all that all you guys are guitar bass and drums elton john because the keyboard." He has real, real estate on top 40 radio. You put this out, you'll not just be an album group. You'll have to get top 40 radio. Play it again. We backed it up and played. He said, that's incredible. It on like three piano players. I said, I don't have to play three style. And he said, who is it? I said, I have no idea.
1: The
0: pizza guy. I said, the guy delivered pizza here. He asked to play piano. I gave him a shot. I don't know who he is. you got to find who he is. If he's in the union, we're in trouble. If he's not in the union, we're in trouble. We need his permission. This song you're going to be playing every day for the rest of your life. (laughs) This is a party natural song. It's a feel-good song. The minute it comes on, everybody, ooh, oh, let's dance. It's like, let's rock and roll, let's dance. So we tracked the guy down. I had to phone. I went to the front of the recording studio and said to, like, you, if you're the receptionist, here's the yellow pages. You phone 8 a.m., and I'll phone from, Mary, you phone from Anthony's to Mario's, I'll phone Mario's to the end and ask if they have a pizza delivery boy that looks like Fidel Castro. He had a big black beard and black hair and wearing the army fatigues. I got lucky in my third phone call. They said, yes, we have a guy like that. What's his name? We can't give out his names. Is he working today? Yes, at to the end of the month. He's really a piano player and he only delivers pizza the last week of the month to pay his rent. Send him down with yesterday's pizza. I don't care. His name was Carmen Jerky. <laughs> So Norman Durkee is the piano you hear on that track. Wow. He then went on to be Bette Miller's musical director on her North American tour. And when I played with Ringo Starr's All-Star Band in 95, we toured the world and came back to end the tour at the um, the Greek theater in L.A. Yeah. The pianist for the L.A. Philharmonic was Norman Durkee. So I saw him there again. And so... It's funny how things go round and round. When yeah. I want to hear that on the radio today. His piano playing is still unbelievable. And I can still pick out the Dr. John, the Elton John yeah, and the Little Richard sounds. piano parts.
1: It's such a a, a great story. We're, we're going to actually listen. Not with him. You found yourself another uh, piano player. I think somebody by the name of Paul Schaefer or something. Schaefer <laughs> from Canadian. Thunder Bay. And this was a uh, this was a version of it uh, that was at the Roseland ballroom in in New York. But Randy, I've just gotta say before we go and we're going to listen to that, it is wonderful to talk to you. You are such an uplifting spirit, and we Thank need you. that. We need that in in these tough times and as we're coming out of that. And to see you still going full tilt, I hope um, it just lasts forever.
0: I'll be in Toronto with Burton Cummings in the middle of July.
1: Okay. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get there.
0: <laughs> Good. I'll, we'll call you. We'll contact you. Can come back backstage. Yeah. No. Let me tell you be- about Paul Schaefer. Every year for eight years, the guess who would drive Christmas Eve, Eve the 23rd to Thunder Bay and play the arena with yeah. ice, but they put plywood on the ice. In the front row every year, Paul Schaefer.
1: Yeah.
0: Little 13 year old kid. We were 17, 18. Maybe he was yeah. 14. He remembered everything we play every time I've yeah. seen him, and he's had me on David Letterman. He would yeah. say, "Let's do Louis Louis five ways." He remembered <laughs> we would do it like Paul Revere, like the Kingsmen, like yeah. the Kinks, like yeah. the Beach Boys. We would do it five ways, and people in Thunder Bay would love it. Oh no! So Paul <laughs> had been a really dear, wonderful friend of mine. Yeah, he is. A good guy.
1: very good. to have him come to, to the Rose line. line.
0: That was the last gig of the Rose Line. They shut it down. Yeah, it's closed. But it was in so many movies. Mafia kind of movie. There was a nightclub in every Mafia movie.
1: And we did uh, an event there after 9-11 when I was just heading to New York where Canadians, it was called Canada Loves New York, and that was in the Roseland Ballroom. And so when I saw that, there was a a real connection. So thank you so much. Uh, Good luck with Vinyl Tap on Chorus. Good luck with the tour. Can't wait for Canada Day. That is how I'm going to celebrate my Canada Day. I'm going to watch.
0: And I'll you, contact you on the Backman Backman's album, which is the soundtrack yeah, to our. It's going to be called Lost and Found. It's all about me getting my Gretsch guitar back.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Randy, thank you so, so much. Thank you. All right, a little bit of taking care of business as we say. Bye. Right.